The title of our text, or the sermon this morning, is He Came, So We Go. And from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38... Uh, we see several different themes. One certainly is love, as you see on the front of your worship folder. Another is the theme of expectation. Another is the theme of compassion. This morning, as we consider this text uh, and consider God's word and application for our lives, I want us to think about Christ's mission in the world. But before we dive into the text this morning, would you pray with me? Our Father, as we look at your word this morning, we know that your word speaks to us and is living and has much to say. And Father, we, we want to be careful hearers this morning. Lord, we want to be filled certainly with your joy as we celebrate Advent and Christmas time. Lord, we also want to be careful to hear how your word prompts us to live joyfully in our daily lives. And so, God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you lead us by your Holy Spirit? And God, would you shape us and, and fashion us to be, uh, to be willing and desirous servants to walk obediently and pleasing to you and to experience the joy that comes from being yoked together with you in discipleship? For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our passage this morning is filled with a sense of expectation. It's filled with a sense of expectancy. Expectancy that God's people will pray, asking Him to accomplish His mission in the world. And expectancy that God will answer the prayers of His people. And expectancy that we, His people, will be used to answer the very prayers we petition God for. Did you catch that in verses 37 and 38? When we pray in accordance with God's will, He delights to answer our prayers. We should remember this, church. We should learn how to guide, uh, how to allow our prayers to be guided by God's word, right? Because when we're praying in accordance with God's word, we know that we're praying His will, and we know that He delights and desires to answer the prayers of his people. And so the celebration of Christ's first advent fills our lives with the hope and the expectation of his second coming, his second advent. But what we can't afford to miss this morning is we can't afford to miss that the mission of Christ is one that he has called every believer to live accordingly with. Christ has called every believer to live out his very mission in the world. And so the glory of Christ's coming actually fuels the mission of the church going. The glory of Christ's coming fuels the mission of the church's going. When we think about the word mission, we often associate mission with mission trips. Right? Wes and I had a discussion about this this past week. 
but one of the things that we need to consider in our, in, our, in our thoughts about mission and about mission trips is what has God called us to do. You see, mission is more than just a one or a two week trip. It's more than helping someone repair their home or, or doing some local project. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, I think, brings the mission of Christ front and center for our consideration this morning. The mission of Jesus was to make God's glory known among all nations. Now, certainly we do this as we take mission trips. But are mission trips the only time that we do this? No, we're to do this every day of our lives. We're to be about, this is our mission. When we speak about the mission for the Christian, we're speaking about God's people making God's glory known. And this happens through every area, every detail, everything that the believer is engaged in. And so this morning, I want us to see that God calls every believer to engage his redemptive mission in our lives. God calls every believer to engage his redemptive mission in our daily lives. So let us first note our Lord's fervency to a life consumed by mission. Do you see in verse 35, what does it say? It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities, right? As he went throughout all the cities and the villages, what was he doing? He was teaching in their synagogues and in their and in their, uh, their villages. He was going about, I'm sorry, teaching, yeah, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We see that Jesus' life was intentionally focused on one thing, and that was accomplishing God's redemptive mission. The Bible says that as he went throughout all the cities and villages, this was how Jesus went about carrying out God's mission. He would go teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he would go healing the sick. And so Jesus had power and authority even over sickness. He was able to cast out sickness and to bring healing. He was able to cast out demons. He was able to have rule over the sea, right? Over nature itself. And so we see that Jesus' daily life revolved around his mission around his purpose, and the purpose in life for Jesus and his mission in life is directly connected. And I think we need to see this in our own lives, that our purpose in Christ and our mission in our daily life are directly connected, that his purpose in life gives way to the mission in life. And so the purpose of, of the Christian's daily life is fulfilling God's mission. Think about Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, in the Lord's Prayer. What does Jesus say when he's teaching his disciples to pray? Your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. You see, there's, there's, he's teaching the disciples to have this continual daily dependence on God. And he's calling us as disciples to have this continual daily dependence on God. To look to God and say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. You see, everything in the believer's life is to be geared around mission. This is God's mission in the world. And this is what scripture teaches us. 
that we are a new workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, when we read that chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, we see that we are new creations in Christ, right? The old is gone, everything's been made new. And then he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, begging you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. You see, this becomes the motive, the mission of the believer's life as we are newly created in Christ, This means that even the mundane daily activity of life has a purpose. Our gathering for worship has a purpose. This means that our growth as a body has purpose. I'll say that again in case you are distracted, all right? So our gathering for worship has a purpose. Everything, even the mundane, daily activity of our life has purpose. When we gather for worship, it has purpose. When we, when we, when we grow together as a body, when we grow in our, our relationship with Christ, this has purpose. And, and even our engaging the world through vocation and, and neighborly hospitality, it has purpose. And that purpose, it's to exalt the glory of God through Christ the Son. Everything we do is about bringing glory to the Father. And so we live out Christ's mission in the world. And as we live out Christ's mission in the world, get the picture, here's what happens. People are drawn to the glorious portrait of God that believers paint as individuals and that the church paints corporately. This was the reason for Christ's incarnation. This was the reason that Christ came. To display the glory of God. To reveal the glory of God. Consider what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. You can follow along on the screen. Paul says, to me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 tells us this. And we see that Christ's mission was to proclaim the glory of the Father for the redemption of humanity. So that all who repent of their sin, confess with their mouth, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart, they will be saved. This is the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom that Jesus is speaking about. And so here's the take-home question for us. At least from this first point, okay? Here's the take-home question. What do we deem important in our day-to-day lives what do we deem important in our day-to-day lives does christ's mission consume our lives can we say of our lives individually and as a church that we are consumed by christ's mission is it practical to think that our mindset today could be so centrally focused The answer is, I think so. 
And I think the way that we apply this centrality of missional living is through our vocations, through our vocational calling, through interacting with our neighbors in the neighborhood. Consider, church, what what does the corporate witness of our fellowship say to others? So when we have visitors that come into our fellowship and they observe our gatherings, what do they observe? What do they walk out thinking about? How do they walk out feeling? Do they feel that they've been in the presence of God? Do they feel that they have, they have been in the midst of a worship service? Do they feel that they have been loved on by the body of Christ? Are we willing to open ourselves up to developing new community with others? Are we willing to include them in our lives? It's hard work to develop new community, isn't it? It's, it's hard work, but it's gospel work. I'm afraid that we've been, oftentimes we've been nudged with just enough political correctness that we cower at the thought of demonstrating an unashamed adoration for Christ before a lost and dying world. So uh, let me exhort us to readiness. Let me exhort us to a willingness to give testimony of what God is doing in our lives. Let us be ready to tell others of how God is answering our prayer, of how God is filling our, us and our, our lives with joy, of, of how, Je- how in Jesus we've found purpose and we've found hope. Let me exhort us that we would be consumed with this understanding that our daily life is about accomplishing Christ's mission in the world. I think because of our culture, that during the Christmas season we have a prime opportunity to be bolder in having gospel conversations with co-workers and with our neighbors. And in this section of teaching from Jesus, chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus is telling his disciples as he sends them out, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go out in the world. You're going to proclaim the gospel. And when somebody accepts you and somebody accepts me, great. When somebody rejects you, they actually are rejecting me. So leave that home and dust your feet, dust, knock the dust off of your feet, basically is what he's saying. But then he gives these words of counsel. Chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Let me challenge us to hear Jesus' words as we pray about our vocational and about our neighborly witness. What Jesus says here is, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. And we need to recognize that as we go out on mission, on behalf of Christ, that not everyone is going to receive. Not everyone is going to believe. In fact, it would be probably more accurate to say that most people will reject Many will reject. But hear what Jesus says. As you're going out, be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And the challenge that we need to hear is, we need to be careful in how we share the gospel in our workplaces, I think. We need to be careful in the way that we, we give vocalization to the gospel because of the workplaces. However, let it not keep us from being vocal about the gospel. Let us be faithful to give testimony about what God is doing in our lives. Let us be faithful to give testimony about the hope of Christ within us. 
Now, this requires that we are walking with Christ, and it requires that we're daily devoting ourselves to Him. And so I exhort you and encourage you, exhort and encourage all of us that we would be seeking out, prayerfully seeking out, divine opportunities to share our faith and that we would be looking for those opportunities to make the glory of God known in our mundane, day-to-day activities. What would happen if every Crosspoint member's life was characterized as being consumed with mission like Christ demonstrates in verse 35? Even bigger than that, what would happen if every believer's life in Baton Rouge was characterized as being consumed with Christ's mission as as Jesus demonstrates in verse 35? I think God would do a great work in the midst of our city. I think God would do a great work in the midst of our church and in our own lives. Let me exhort us, church, to be consumed with Christ's mission. This is the purpose for which you have been called. To live for Christ. To live on mission with Christ day to day, in and out. So here's the question. What steps might you take to intentionally live out God's mission in the world? What steps might you take to intentionally live out God's mission in the world? Jesus was intentional in living out his mission, right? So what steps might we take to do that? Let me give you two suggestions. This is points two and three in the text. Verse 36, we need to learn. We need to learn that compassion fuels mission. Compassion fuels mission. We see this in verse 36. Look at what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless The word compassion here, it means to fill down in the viscera, the the guts. To fill in the bowels. We, We might say, I love you with all my heart to speak of this feeling. Or speaking negatively, we might say something like, I hate blank with all my guts, right? This is the... This is the wording that compassion communicates. It's this, this compassion that he feels on the crowd. It's, it's a deep-seated compassion that he has. It's a, it's a profound compassion. He has this profoundly deep feeling of care for the crowds as he looks upon them. And so verse 36 continues that he, that he sees that they were harassed and they were helpless In other words, they were being oppressed. That's what this word harassed means. There were tormentors that were oppressing the crowds. And they were helpless, unable to do anything about their circumstances. They couldn't escape and they couldn't rescue themselves. Jesus goes on to say, they were like, what? Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable to attacks. Sheep really have no defense mechanism at all. They wander around aimlessly without direction. They look for food from pasture to pasture. They they never find enough food to satisfy. They, They look for water to quench their thirst. But without a shepherd, they grow weary in trying to find grass and water. The grass always appears to be greener in the next pasture, and so sheep just wander about, wander about, wherever their eyes take them. And so the spiritual leaders of the day 
had abandoned the sheep of God's pasture, Israel. And this is what Jesus is confronting. They were out for their own gain and they had led people astray. In fact, this is what the prophet Ezekiel speaks to in Ezekiel chapter 34. Just listen to God's word as I read from Ezekiel chapter 34. This is the prophecy from Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you, are, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Ezekiel 34.10, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, and that they may, that they may not be food for them. And then here, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. God's prophecy is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ, the good shepherd, <laughs> when he comes as the infant in the manger and grows up to become the savior of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 1 and 4, to the crowds and to the disciples, he says this about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says they sit on Moses' seat. But here's what they do. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay, on them people's they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to remove them with their finger. And so as Jesus looks out on the crowds, he feels deep down. For the crowds. He, he, he feels a profoundly deep sense of, of concern and compassion. Because they have no one to lead them. They've been misled in fact. They've been actually led astray. Jesus has compassion upon the crowds. He has compassion upon us. He has compassion for the lost. And it's his compassion that fuels his mission. It's important that we see that. It's, it's his compassion that fuels his mission. Yesterday, I was in the checkout line with my family at Costco. And a family with what looked to be college-age sons were, was in front of us. Each of the boys was holding a bottle of vodka. They both appeared to be a little nervous as they sent the bottles down on the conveyor belt. Even one pulled out his wallet as if he was going to give some money to his mom to pay for the alcohol. What was interesting about the bottles was the bottles had LED lights on them, and you could program a message that would scroll across the screen. It seems the standard message that was programmed to scroll across the screen 
was Merry Christmas. But one of the young men had typed an obscene message on the screen that was bright and flashing, and it was drawing all eyes to the screen. But in an effort to keep my family, in an effort to keep my children from noticing the neon sign beckoning for their attention, I tried to engage my family in conversation. I could just picture one of my children sounding out the word and reading it out loud. Then I noticed the mom quickly hit a button on the bottle, reached up, changed the message, and then turned the bottle to face a different direction. Now, in full transparency, at first I was angry. I was hot, and I could feel my temperature just rising. And I wanted to say something harsh. In judgment, I wanted to speak a harsh word. I even wanted to step forward and and turn the bottle so the word wasn't seen by my, just the simple act, right? But the mother's action, changing the message, cooled my rising temperature. <laughs> and so I got home, never, I didn't say anything to my family. I got home and I, I carried this experience into my, just my sermonizing yesterday evening. And after reflecting more on Jesus' compassion on the crowds, I had to ask myself, Where was my compassion on this family? Why was it that anger rose up within me first? Why wasn't compassion there? And it solidified this understanding for me that compassion fuels mission. Compassion actually compels mission. Had I had compassion in that moment, I wouldn't have been ready to speak a harsh word, but I would have been ready to speak a different word, a a hopeful word. A word that met people where they were and sought to bring the hope of Christ in the midst of what was desperately needed, the hope of Christ. And so the compassion of Christ looks upon the world and experiences a profoundly deep grief over their lostness. That's what happens when he looks out on the crowds. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were looking for greener pastures. They were looking for purpose and meaning in life. And hear me out as we engage the world today and they're looking for purpose and meaning in life or looking for greener pastures. Whether it's through building bigger barns or, or whether it's trying to earn God's favor or, or even through unbridled fleshly indulgence, many are being led astray by a false notion of who God is and what makes one acceptable to God. And I can't help but to think that today, as the church, we have allowed this false sense of security to be propagated in our culture. So the challenge for us is to look out upon the world as Christ did with a compassion for the lost, you see, when the, when the compassion of Christ is present in our lives, it fuels our mission. Compassion is the root of Christianity. Without compassion, we don't have authentic Christian mission. And so Jesus looked upon the crowd, and he had compassion on them. They were in need of a shepherd, and this is why Jesus came. Jesus is the good shepherd that humanity desperately needs. And it was his compassion for humanity that led him to take the most compassionate act of all and to lay down his life for the lost, for the redemption 
of humanity. Christ's compassion fueled his mission. Let me ask you this morning, if you were to gauge your compassion for the lost world around you, what would it be? On a scale of 1 to 10, what might it be? If Christ's example is 10, what might, how might we gauge our own compassion toward the lost? You see, compassion compels and fuels mission. But thirdly, and the second way that we intentionally live out God's mission in the world, so if we are to intentionally live out God's mission in the world, we need to learn not only that compassion fuels mission, we need to learn that prayer and people are the means of mission. Prayer and people are the means of mission. Notice in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, right? A verse that we're all familiar with. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Simply put, the challenge here is to pray to God and ask him to send laborers out into the field. But this is an expectancy. I want us to see that. Jesus expects that his disciples will do this. In fact, this is a command in verse 37 or verse 38. Therefore, pray. That is the command. Pray. ESV says pray earnestly. But the command here is to pray Now, I want you to remember back to verse 35, where we saw the ministry of Jesus as teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I think we see that these ministries, even healing the sick, these ministries are equally important in Jesus' mind. And so I, I want us to note from verses 37 and 38, paired with verse 35, that evangelism is vitally important. Evangelism is vitally important. It is important to tell people the good news of the kingdom of God. It is important to use our words to declare the hope of Jesus Christ and his redemption of the world. It's very important that we as God's people would be faithful to speak the truth of the gospel to the lost world around us. If eternity is at stake and souls hang in the balance, why don't we be more? Why aren't we more engaged in proclaiming the gospel? Probably a lot of reasons that we could name, but perhaps maybe one of the greatest reasons is because we fail to pray. We fail to pray and ask God to send out labors into the harvest. We fail to have compassion. On the world around us. You see when we pray for the harvest. We have compassion for people. And when we pray for God to send out laborers into the harvest. We're going to be looking for those laborers. And we're going to be ready to serve. And so what do we learn about the harvest? Well we learn that the harvest is plentiful. Right? I mean it's ready. It's ripe. It's time. It's harvest season. He says, but the laborers are few. Well, how do we get the harvest in? Well, we need more laborers. Well, how do we get more laborers? Well, we go to the one who's in control of the harvest. And we ask him, send more laborers. And so there's an expectancy of prayer. Jesus issues this command, pray. 
pray asking the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. There's much work and much harvesting to be done. There are many souls who are in need of God's salvation. Call out to God to send the workers. Pray. Pray fervently. Make this a part of your daily prayer. You see, and when this becomes part of our daily prayer, I think we begin to look on the world differently. We see the world with compassion. We see the world as in need of a Savior. And then, we're to, we're to, we're to expect an answer. And what is the answer? When we pray, God will respond. And he will send out laborers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. Call out to God and ask him to send the laborers out. So we are to expect an answer. But then thirdly, we are to expect that God will use us to answer the prayers that we petition him for. Maybe this is a little more implicit, but it's certainly here. We look at Isaiah 6 and the vision that Isaiah had. What does he say in response? Here I am, Lord. Send me, right? You see, the daily life and the daily mission of the disciple of Christ is one that is engaged in accomplishing God's mission in the world. You see, mission isn't something we do one or two weeks or maybe three weeks out of the year when we leave the confines of our comfort zones. Mission is something we do and engage in every day of our lives. This is why Jesus Christ came to display the glory of God. He came to live out a redemptive mission to bring salvation to the lost world. And Jesus is working in and through us and desires to work in and through us to carry this mission out into the world. So here's my challenge for us this morning. To consider our own lives before the Lord, our own daily activity, and ask, what must change in our lives so that we might be intentionally focused on living out Christ's mission daily. Church, this is how we are to live. This is what it means to be a new creation in Christ. So let that challenge sit with us this morning. Let us pray and consider this Christmas season a season of expectancy that Christ is going to return. What has Christ called us to do between the first and the second coming? What is the purpose of our lives and what are we to be about? It's mission. Engaging in Christ's mission daily. Let us pray. Our Father, you are so good to us. You have given us a good shepherd who not only has compassion on the lost world around us, but even has compassion on us when we, when we fail to see and live out the mission that you've called us to. 
God, we don't want to do it on our own. We know that we can't live according to your mission on our own. And so lead us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Fill our lives with the hope of salvation. Let the joy of our salvation resound through our lives. Lord, like a shepherd, lead us. Comfort us, O Lord. Comfort those whose hearts are hurting during this holiday season. Be nearer than a brother or sister. Lead us and guide us, O Lord. And Father, give us boldness. Give us endurance. Give us encouragement. And Lord, let us develop, develop within us, I should say, a compassion for the world around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.